I'm going to introduce our first CME speaker, uh, Mr. Greg Budolf. He graduated in 1995 from the U.S. Navy George Washington University. In 96, went through a one-year Durham residency at the Naval Hospital in San Diego. 2000 to 2008, worked in the Mayo Clinic in La Crosse, Wisconsin. 2009, and to present, he works at the Gunderson Lutheran Health in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Greg is also a past president of this organization. Uh, he was the CME director and worked the first SDPA Winter CME 2001. He established the Fall Conference in 2003 and established and development of the Summer Conference that we started in Chicago in 2010. So Greg and I have known each other for a little while and uh, I consider him a good friend and uh, I wish you give him your attention. Greg. Glad to see everybody here. This is actually a lot of people, so for 7.45 on the first day. Um, so it, I'm proud of you for getting up early, especially for anybody that came from the West Coast and had that four-hour change. I had a one-hour change, and that was enough. Um, today we're going to talk about kind of a, a wide range of subjects. Uh, one of them is just related to job satisfaction. What makes your job good? What can make it better? Uh, the other part is we're going to go over some cases, kind of depending on how much time we have. Um, we will be taking questions at the end. And if, please make sure you use the microphones. That'd be great. OK, disclaimer, I do love my job. I've loved my job for a while now. Um, ever since I got into Durham almost. Um, I've had some ups and downs. I've had some bosses that have been questionable, uh, but not very much. Um, these are totally my opinions. If you disagree, you're good to go with that one. Um, and I use a lot of medications off-label, as all of us do. So I'll try to point those out, but uh, just know that that's pretty frequent in my talk. What's in your day? How does your day start? Do you enjoy going to work? Do you enjoy, does, or does Sunday afternoon give you the hives? Because you're, you do not want to go to work the next day. Are you so ramped up by noon, you're already a half hour to an hour behind, and uh, people are screaming at you, including the front desk, your nurse, and anybody that walks in your door? You want to try to avoid that as much as possible. And you, and you do actually have some control over that. Uh, at first, when you first begin your job, sometimes it may not uh, seem like that. There are some things that you have to give in on. Um, but as you go on, get more experience, you should be able to develop your own flow. How many patients do you see? It uh, kind of goes back and forth. I've seen. Or, uh, PAs that see 10 an hour, or 10 an hour, 10 a day, no 10 an hour. I've seen people that see 60 to 80 a day. Uh, the first one's not going to pay your rent. The last one's going to make you insane. I'm not sure how good your care is going to be. Um, do you have help? Do you have a nurse? You should always have a nurse, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Do you have support from the front desk? That's really important. Um, are you getting home late? If you're getting home late every night, you need to really seriously look at your schedule. Um, because you're not getting paid for that. <clears throat> your schedule, you're typically your uh, salary is based on how many hours are in the week. Um, so sometimes adjustments need to be made. Otherwise, that, that time can go from 5.30 to 6, to 6.30 to 7, 7.30, 8. You get home just in time to crash into bed and get up and do it all over again, and you're going to burn out pretty quick. Do you get your due? Do you make as much as you think you're worth? Or what you're worth? Um, that should kind of be a figure that's fairly close together. Uh, or does your job suck? You need to be happy with what you do. Um, if not, you either need to change jobs, and that's not always 
probable. You may have family, you may have some ties in the community, you just do not want to give up. Or you can work to make your job better. Um, first you have to decide what's most important to you. When I first was the president of this organization back in uh, early 2000s, I would get calls from all over the country from people that were trying to get uh, jobs in dermatology. And I would typically, it would be a new graduate, they would call and they say, you know, I need a job that pays this much money in New York City, um, you know, on a, on a certain block. Uh, you have to be able to give up something. You can give up where you live. So if you want to make a lot of money, but you want to live in the middle of the city, uh, then you have to make that change. If you want to make less money and have peace and quiet, you have to do that. Uh, but you have to decide what's the most important. I think as you go through your life, those kind of change a bit. At first, when I first got out of the Navy, you know, I couldn't make enough money. I was always trying to make more, more, more. Now, that doesn't make so much difference to me. I can, I've moved off and backed off my job a little bit, and I enjoy myself a lot more. I don't have as much energy as I did 20 years ago, uh, or even 10 years ago. So that's a, that's a big factor as well. Uh, Again, uh, location, you have to decide where you want to live. Where are the jobs? But there's jobs just about everywhere, uh, if you know how to look for them. Do you have any free time? You should be able to have some free time, at least your weekends. Do you have any CME time? Do you have any vacation time? How much vacation time do you have? Do you use your vacation? Or are you working on salary uh, with a uh, bonus structure, and you've given your vacation up so that you can run your numbers up. That is a bad idea. Time is money, and your time is worth a lot of money. <coughs> and it's a lot, a whole lot more if you're sitting in the Grand Canyon camping than you are sitting behind your desk. And then what do you want to do? Everybody has their little niche. I love medical dermatology. I do a little bit of cosmetics. I do some Botox. I do a little bit of filler. Um, when, I was, when I left San Diego in 2000, I was doing five or six Botox a week. I moved to Wisconsin. I did one Botox in the first two years. <laughs> the demographics are completely different. And at first, I was kind of worried about that. After a while, it didn't really matter. But I back up to... Uh, probably eight to 10 Botox a week. Um, and it was part of a, uh, a marketing strategy, part of it was just changing of demographics. Dermatology may not be for you. And, sometimes, and that's great to find out earlier on. You don't want to find that out 10 years in. Number one, you have to like people. Number one, you have to like to touch people. Um, if you don't like to touch people, dermatology is not for you. Um, you, have to be, you have to be able to enjoy patients that have issues. These are patients that come in, they've been itching for two weeks, they have not slept. They are angry at everyone. There are people that, have, that sleep eight hours a day. They're angry at everyone. Um, and then real, unrealistic expectations. And that's just a common kind of thread across. And, and part of your job when you're working with these patients, dealing with these patients, uh, interacting with these patients, probably one of my top priorities to, is to establish realistic expectations. It will make your job so much better. If at the first visit, you make sure that that 16-year-old knows that she is not going to look like the front of Teenage Magazine or Seventeen or any of those magazines. Sometimes they're not listening. A lot of times I'll have somebody come in uh, for a cosmetic consult. 
Botox would be pretty good for them. They're not ready for fillers. Uh, you have to really sit down and talk to them. What are their realistic expectations? If they keep pointing to a line that you don't see, the first thing I ask is if they have a magnifying mirror at home. The same thing with if they have, say they have large pores, I ask if they have a magnifying mirror at home. Because they're seeing something that visually I don't see. And there's a lot of people that just don't have a, have a poor image of themselves. And I try as best I can to bring that image up. Whether it be from sitting down and just a good discussion, or actually being able to treat them to move them on. A bad acne patient with Accutane can change their life. Um, and I've seen them turn around, somebody that won't take off their t-shirt at PE, or won't go to school, now is interacting, very happy. You can see it in the 20th week. Sometimes you see it in the 12th week. Those are very rewarding. You can change jobs. There's actually a lot of Durham jobs out there. You can go to our website, uh, durhampa.org, and plug in a state. There are some states that have none. Uh, but don't let that stop you. And there are some states that have a lot. Again, you have to decide where you want to go. But there are changes out there. If you're willing to make a change, if you're willing to get out of your rut and move someplace else, there's a possibility that there could be something different. You have to investigate. You don't want to go from the frying pan into the fire. Uh, but that's something that you want to look at. One thing that I did when I went to uh, the Midwest, that I still wonder why I did that, uh, from San Diego every winter. Um, one thing that I did is there were no jobs in the area that I wanted to be. I had, I had been in the Navy for almost 20 years. My uh, kids had never seen their grandparents for any length of time. I wanted my kids to get a good education. Um, Best education, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, every year. So I wanted to be in that area. I just sent, I picked, picked an area, drew a circle around it, about a 100-mile circle, and sent resumes to everybody, every dermatologist or clinic in that area. Nobody was looking, but I got four interviews. I got two job offers, uh, and it ended up, um, actually, I'm actually have worked for both of those, and I'm working for the second one now. Um, you may be someplace that it, you're not getting paid for what you're worth. Again, you have to be able to either change jobs or be able to negotiate. There's lots of people that can help you negotiate salary and contract. Uh, we've had several lectures on it here at the conferences. Uh, we'll have several more in, in the future. Don't sell yourself short. You may not have the perfect mix. If you're going to Beverly Hills, you're probably not going to do a lot of medical dermatology. You'll do some. If you don't want to do a lot of cosmetics, that's probably not a good place for you to go. So you want to make sure the mix matches uh, your talents and what you want to do. And it may, again, it may not be where you want to live. You need realistic expectations. So make sure that you sit down, write them all out, find out exactly where you want to be, and then go for it. It may take a little while to get there, but there's a good chance you can be there. Whether it be the amount of money that you want to make, the type of patient that you want to deal with, or the place you want to live. You can make your job and your day much better if you take some action. One of, the, one of the biggest things is education. You cannot live on what you learned in school and what you learned at your first job or the first year that you went into any type of intensive training. I learn every day. I am very aggressive at my CME. In the past, 
I was kind of forced to come to two conferences because I was kind of running two conferences. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see, see a lot of the lectures of people that I brought in. Now I spend a whole lot more time with that, and it, it makes me a lot happier. Before, however, I always go to the office about a half hour early. I spend that half hour on CME, either textbooks, journals. I have kind of a circulation that I do, and I, that never changes. The nurses always know not to interrupt me during that half hour. Even though I'm in the office, I'm not open for business. That is very important. You need to keep up on the current um, trends. Don't lie stagnant. It'll make your life a whole lot better. Be able to talk to the uh, people that you work with. Be open to ideas. Again, journals are a great uh, way to get CME. You get several free journals from um, the society. There's other journals out there that just kind of show up in my mailbox. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. I kind of go through it. I rip out the article I want and throw the rest in the trash. Otherwise, you're stacking journals about this high, and at the end of the year, you just toss them all out. It's better just to kind of rip through it, find the article you like, rip it out, staple it, put it in a file, and that's what I do. Uh, don't be afraid to go to regional conferences. They're a lot cheaper. Um, there can be a lot of regional talent. A lot of times, um, the pharmaceutical industry will bring somebody in. Don't poo-poo them. They bring in a lot of information, and it's free. Take what you can from each opportunity to learn. Every little tidbit will change. Every time I leave this conference, I take something with me I use on Monday. When I was putting together speakers for these conferences, that was the requirement that I sent in my letter. They had to have something that people could use the next week. I didn't want to see a bunch of graphs, because that's not going to help me that much. It's good information, but I need to know what I'm going to use next week. That's what's going to make a difference. And I can't tell you the amount of things that I bring back to my office that the dermatologists are actually using now. The same thing with them. Sometimes they bring stuff back that I use. Unfortunately, I have seven dermatologists in my office. Several of them are older. They haven't been to a CME forever. A couple of them are still practicing in the 50s. There's still a lot to be learned there. Running a little stagnant for me, but don't throw it away. The DLI, the District uh, Distance Learning uh, Initiative that's put on by the SDPA is excellent. <clears throat> There's been some glitches with it, but they've really worked hard to make it what it is today. It's a series of modules on different sections of dermatology, pediatrics, acne, psoriasis, eczema. You will learn a lot through those because it makes you do the research. Plus, you, there's a lot of CME. I think there's like 70 credits like that in CME in those. Dermcast. Dermcast is an excellent opportunity for you to um, get some audio. You can, it's through iTunes. You can get most of the lectures that are in the conferences. They're released throughout the year. There's lectures from several conferences ago that they've released. You get onto it, you download it. I have a 20-minute drive from where I live to where, or to, from where I live to where I work. I always listen to at least twice a week a, um, a lecture on the way. It takes about going there and then coming home to, to do a whole lecture. But it's important. I have several lectures that I've listened to several times. Uh, Dr. Zirwas, who's going to be speaking later in this conference, I have two of his lectures that I've listened to at least three times, and I still am picking things out. Zoe Drails uh, spoke in Scottsdale, uh, talking about different cosmetics, going down the cosmetic aisle, uh, soap, shampoos, uh, moisturizers. 
I've listened to that three or four times. There are things to pique your interest. You don't have to read everything. Use your ears. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can uh, download to your MP3, MP3 player or iPhone, iPod, and use it. I live on a farm. I have two acres to mow. So I have Bose headphones, because it's pretty loud. Uh, and I usually listen to, I listen to a lot of things, but this is part of uh, the process. And, and I learn stuff. Um, you can uh, review with a fellow uh, Derm PA. We, I have another dermatology PA that's in my um, town. She actually took over the job that I left. She's younger. She just graduated from school two years ago, I believe. We meet every Tuesday for about an hour, and we're going through Habif chapter by chapter. Great opportunity. Although you have gone through something, teaching it to somebody is very valuable in increasing your learning. Review your doc's notes. This is important for several different reasons. Number one, you can re especially when you start, you can learn how he practices medicine. Because how, he how you practice should mirror how he practices. Because he's signing off, and that's really important. It also teaches you some things. Things that you would not nor he wouldn't normally think to tell you that he's done on a, a particular patient. When I first go to a job, I usually spend an, about an hour on Monday for probably the first year. Going, he'll go through my notes, I'll go through his notes, and we kind of go back and forth. And if he has questions, then he'll ask me. If I have questions, I'll ask him. We get, that kind of goes out further and further out as we get to know each other's practice. We still meet about once a month to do that. He still reviews my notes, but we don't discuss them as much anymore. Um, but it helps, especially at the beginning of your practice, so that you can establish a relationship with your supervising doc. Volunteer. Volunteer is, again, wonderful for many different reasons. Number one, you're giving back to the community. I work for a, um, or I volunteer at a free health mission that gives health care to people that are kind of lost in the cracks. They have a job, so they don't qualify for anything, but they actually have, they have absolutely no health insurance. Um, it's a great opportunity. There's tons of derm. There's two things that they have the most of, derm, psych. Um, so those are great opportunities for you to sit down and see some stuff sometimes that you haven't seen for a long time, because it's gone untreated for years. Also, I've, I've volunteered, I've gone to Haiti, Dominican Republic, Thailand, um, a couple other places. Uh, again, great opportunity, seeing things that you don't normally see in this area of the country. Especially Haiti, there's stuff down there that I thought was eradicated. So, uh, good learning opportunity. And you give back, it makes you feel good. Lecture at the local college. I lecture. Uh, at the PA program and the NP program, keeps you sharp. It's the same lectures every year. I update them a little bit. But again, going over that information that you typically don't spend a lot of time on refreshes your memory, gets you to think. Write articles. It's important to write an article. Two things that will make you learn a lot is writing an article because you're sending it out to people that are going to tear it to pieces. So you are going to research that thing. There are two things that I'm pretty good at. Hives and itching. I've written articles on both those and I've talked on both those. And I know more about that than probably anything else in dermatology. And it's all because I've lectured on it, I've written articles on them. So those two things, again, you do a lot of research, a lot of research, especially for more uh, current things. And then, again, talk at conferences. You have to really do your research in order to, to talk. You don't have to talk at a big conference. Talk at your local level. 
get somebody to sponsor you or, you know, just get everybody together and say, we're going to meet at, you know, Joe's Egg or whatever and have a little CME. Uh, the, the organization, SDPA, will actually help you get CME for that. Um, and then do some lecturing. It is easier as you go through it. Once you, I'm scared to death of people, but as I get up here more and more, I can uh, tend to speak a little bit better. Now we're gonna talk about the office. And these are just things that I've learned over the years. Office politics. It is your job to stay away from it. Never, ever speak ill of somebody. And just about everybody in here has done it. I've done it. And the one person we tend to do it to, our MA, our nurse. Believe me, it is not between you two. All you have to do is go to the break lounge sometime and listen to other nurses talk about what their docs said. It is a bad trap. Stay away from it. Never drink at the office party. You are the designated driver. We do stupid things when we're drunk, or even if we drink. Don't play favorites. That's usually kind of a, you know, that's a given. One thing that you can do, you know, there's, when you're doing, say you do Botox in the clinic, you're given free samples, you do some to the nurses. Make sure you take that nurse as kind of the outcast and offer her to have it. Don't do it to the, your nurse every time. Be able to spread that around. Get the uh, PLs involved, the patient liaison or ex-receptionist. Never gossip. Goes back to number one. Stay away from it. It will get you in trouble. Always. The flow. When you have your, during your day, it is very, very important, and this will serve you down the road every time. The patient must know you are a PA. Don't take it for granted that they know. Most of the time, they don't. They instantly assume that you're a physician. Even after seeing you once or twice, they still think that you have to be able to correct it in their mind. Now, I don't spend a lot of time talking about it myself, but we have a system set up where when the appointment is made, it's made very clear who they're seeing. When they check in, it's made very clear once again. And then when my nurse rooms them, uh, you know, he says, you know, you're, you're seeing Greg, physician assistant, works with Dr. Knoll today. You know, do you have any questions? And um, I've never had anybody say, well, I don't want to do that. But make sure that it's up front because it'll bite you later if you don't. If things go south on a patient and their husband comes in and, and find out, finds out that you're a PA and looks at the wife and wife doesn't know it, and oh, God, you're in trouble. I've been there. Um, so make sure you do that. You need a nurse. Actually, you need two if you have any type of flow. You should never be changing the paper on your tables or rooming your own patients. It is not cost effective. You can make a lot of money. You're seeing a lot of patients when you're not doing that. That just adds to your stress. You do not need to be doing that. You need to have a little talk with your doc. If you have any questions about it, you can talk to me later. But it's not cost effective, and it kind of wears on you after a while, especially if your doc's not rooming his patients. Now, if your doc's rooming his patients, that might be a different deal. Maybe you both need to talk about how, what is cost effective and what is not. Believe me, we've gone to all MAs, unfortunately, or fortunately, depends how you take it. My MAs are great. So they don't make a lot of money. It's very cheap to bring them in. They will pay for themselves within the first couple of weeks, certainly the first couple of months. If you have a good nurse or MA, make sure they know it. You need to give out the praise liberally. 
Make sure that you know what the, when their birthday is, when their husband or wife's birthday is, uh, what they like for Christmas. My MA is getting a big bonus for Christmas, and I'm paying it. I do not want to leave her, or I won't leave her. She'll leave me. I don't want her to leave me, um, because I'll tell you what. I, when I moved to this job, I got kind of whoever was left over, um, and I really wanted this job bad. And I went through two or three nurses in about a year and a half. It was terrible. And then, I, and then at the end, when they were trying to find somebody that was going to, you know, br- they were going to bring in new, I was getting floats from other departments, so orthopedics, family practice. They had absolutely no idea what to do in dermatology, didn't know how to do a biopsy. It was terrible. I was going insane in February, um, and my office knew it, so they got on the stick pretty quick. Um, so I'm a pretty nice guy, but and I can get pretty vocal sometimes. I have a nurse now that is golden. I've had three great ones. Back when I was at Mayo, I had two the entire time I was there. They knew everything. They were fantastic. The one I have now, every room is exactly the same. You could draw a line around the bottles of uh, lidocaine, they're in exactly the same spot every time I go in there. Now, she's a little OCD, but that's okay for a nurse. That's a, actually a great thing. She knows every procedure I do. Every time I ask her for something that's new on a, new, on a procedure, the next time there's the procedure, it is on my tray. That is kind of the perfect world, and it doesn't happen for everybody. But you have to be able to... Keep the nurse when you find one that is good. Be nice to them. Do special things for them. At least tell them that they did a great job and how much you appreciated them at the end of the week. It will go a long way. They will get a smile. may not smile at you then, but they'll smile as they're walking away. It does a lot for a, patient's, or a person's confidence, and it's really important that your nurse know that. Be good to them, and they'll be good to you. You really need two rooms. If you have one, you're just slowing yourself down. When I'm flowing throughout the day, I go from one room to the other. I rarely go back to my office. And that's kind of why you need need one that's always with you, that knows all your uh, procedures, and you have to have somebody that can fill in and and room patients, so if one gets stuck in your room, the other one can be uh, filling in. We kind of have it down to where it's kind of one and a half. We share one person. They, she knows how to work for both of us, but we have one that kind of sticks with us. Works perfectly. It's very cost-effective. Um, I've worked with just one before. If you have a great one, it works good. If you don't, you're stumbling over yourselves all the time, and you find that you are room and patients, not because you have to, but because you need to. You're going to say, your nurse is putting on an unaboot, and there's an old guy that likes to jibber-jabber a lot. She needs to stay with him. You're going to either sit twiddling your thumbs, or you're going to go out and room that patient. Um, again, the rooms need to mirror each other. You don't, the last thing you want to do is kind of go in there and, and stumble around. You want to set up a, a biopsy because your nurse isn't around and you have no idea where anything is because it's different than what the room was on the other side of the hall. And your nurse needs to know, know that. Let them know. They are usually very good about that. Set a good example. Patience. The patient is the most important person in that room, and they need to know it. They are not there to make you money. They will make you money, but they're not there for that purpose. And they don't want to feel like they're there for that purpose. It's really important that they know they are the only person on your mind at that time. The staff, including you, never cell phones. 
I've been in practices before where the nurse carries a cell phone around with every free time she's checking her texting. No, 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 no. That never happens. I don't want them thinking about that vibration in their pocket when I, they're supposed to be helping me with a um, procedure. The same thing with me. I don't want my phone going off when I'm in the midst of uh, telling somebody they have a melanoma. Hugh Greenway in San Diego, uh, he stepped down now, but he ran the um, Scripps Clinic Dermatology Department. He had a procedural workshop. He still runs it. And one of the things that he stresses the most is to sit down. You need to sit down. You can't rush in and throw a patient up on a table, do your thing, rush out of the Sit down. Put your butt on the seat. It'll do a couple things. It'll slow you down. Your heart rate will go down. Also, it lets the patient know that you are there for them. And you'd be surprised, just that one thing, how much it means to the patient. Two actions you never do. You never look at your watch, and you never hang out to the door handle. It happens all the time. You're going for the door handle, and they ask you a question. You've got to turn around and talk to them. You can't hang on to them. Because most likely, and you all know this, most likely it's the most important thing they came for. They just forgot to tell you until that point. Because they're getting ready to get up the nerve to do it. Um, so these two things, are, and there's done some studies that these are the two things that you really need to stay away from. There's also three actions that you always do. You always make sure that you have direct eye contact and you welcome them. Thanks for coming. If you are late, if you are two minutes late, apologize for being late. You don't have to grovel. Just say, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. Almost always, 99% of the time, they're fine with it. They aren't, but now they are. Um, when you're, just before you walk in the door, they're steaming. But now that you've apologized, they're fine with it. You're going to have that 1% that it wouldn't have mattered if you would have been five minutes late they were, or early. They wouldn't have liked that either because they weren't done with their phone conversation. Start with a social conversation. This is the weather. I don't care. We, I live in Wisconsin. Everybody watches the weather channel for crying out loud the roads, or because we got crappy roads. It can be anything. Once you start to have your favorite patients or patients that keep coming back, you know them really well, you start to know. I usually put it in my note who their husband is, who their kids are, so that when I review them my notes in the morning, I kind of know they're coming. I kind of have it in my head, you know. Tom is her husband, and you know, how's Tom doing? Um, those things go a long ways because you have just personalized that visit. It will make your life easier. Just those, and let them finish your story. They've done studies, uh, Prescani, where they showed that the average amount of time a patient talks before a provider interrupts them is 20 seconds. 20 seconds isn't enough. You need to let them finish their story. It doesn't take that long. Now, there's outsiders to that that you need to move along, but you need to do it with some tact. Most of the time, they'll finish their story fairly quickly. Let them finish. If you do these three things, It'll make a huge difference. There's only two necessary questions that you need to do, no matter how late you're going or how, many, how compressed. This appointment can only last three minutes. You're in big trouble if that's what it is. But if you have to really compress, you're behind, you, you're, you know, the patients are piling on, you're on call, you just double book 2 o'clock. Now somebody else threw the PL just threw another one in at 2 o'clock because they didn't see your double book in time. There's two things that you absolutely must ask, and that's what do you think is the matter? 
and what do you think should be done? You may not pay any attention to it, but they're actually going to tell you a lot of things with those two things. Because a lot of times they're going to come in with all this information and at least you can say, well, you know, we can think about that because they're going to come in with charts from the internet. And, but that's not going to go away. That is not a trend. Patients are going to continuously get more informed. They're going to do more searching. They're going to be more internet savvy. You need to be aware of that. That goes back to the CME. You don't want them talking to you about cutting edge trends that you have no idea about. Now there's some trends that aren't cutting edge that they'll tell you about that you should probably know about too. And that's helpful. Make sure the patient knows what's going on. When you're wrapping up the visit, ask them, do you have any questions? Are you sure you know what to do? I have a lot of handouts. I have handouts just for just about anything, and they're not, and they're, tend to, they're, they're my handouts. It's, what, it's the way that I talk. It's not different from what I just told them. I don't give them an AAD handout for, with language that I did not use. I use my handouts. And it's easy to do. It seems arduous at first, but if you do one every couple of weeks or even one a month, within a couple of years, you've got a, a pretty good array of handouts, and that'll be extremely helpful for you. There are programs out there. We have an electronic medical record program now that we can actually personalize their handouts. Put their name on it. and. It's a great, actually a great, it's the one thing that I like about electronic medical record. It's like two. Um, and then you need to make sure that you give them an uh, opportunity to call later if they have option, or questions. And I always tell them, you know, call if you have any questions when you get home. They practically never do, but you offered. Um, and make sure that they know how to get a hold of you. I never give them my number, but I tell them how to get my nurse's number, and that drives her crazy because her phone's ringing off the hook all the time. Uh, but that's part of what she does. There are certain patients, I have a patient that we're going to look at here in a minute, that have my cell phone number. I do not give it out liberally, but there are certain patients that I do give it to. There are patients that have been with me for a long time that are in big trouble. I want to know. I don't want to hear from the ER doc about my patient because almost all the time they're discontinuing medications I just got them started on. That are, they're just starting to turn the corner. I would rather know myself. I don't care if I'm in Orlando or the Caicos or wherever. I want to know if all possible. I'd like to, I'll direct them to somebody. I'll usually direct them to my supervising doc. We kind of go back and forth with that. When he's gone, I take care of his patients. When I'm gone, he takes care of mine. Uh, but be willing to do that if it's somebody you trust and you're very concerned about, especially if they're in big trouble. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a call or I found out on when I got back that Five days before, they went into the urgent care because they were having some shortness of breath. They ended up saying, well, it must be your medications. Took them off all their medications. Now they're flaring like crazy. You got to start all over again. When that one phone call would have saved a lot of things. So uh, be willing to do that if you can. Final thoughts. Make sure you communicate with your doc. He may not be very good at it. And for some reason, I have some docs that are, you know, Communication 101 was not on their slate in college. They just are terrible about interacting. Um, so sometimes you have to initiate it. So make sure you put up those communication lines. Never do anything your doc doesn't do. I, my a direct supervising doc does not do cosmetics. I have another doc that's right next to it on the other side of me that does cosmetics. He signs all of my cosmetic charts. It's important that you do not do stuff that your doc does not do or he's capable of doing. You have to be able to practice at his level of expertise. If you're practicing above his level of expertise, neither one of you have any 
foot to stand on. If you're doing, giving, putting out drugs that he hasn't given for a long time, they're going to take you to court and rip you to shed, shreds. So practice like your doctor does, or at least cover yourself. Um, this is my rule. Um, my doc doesn't see every patient. I, I see all my patients independently. He sees all my notes. That's how the Wisconsin law is. Uh, Unfortunately, our um, facility law is a little bit different. He signs everything. Wisconsin law is just if it's a new patient or a new problem, I think, do they have to be countersigned. Whatever your laws are, make sure you know those. Uh, if I have somebody come back on a second visit and they're not better, my doc sees them. If they come back on a third visit, they're just, or on a second visit if they're worse, on a third visit if they're not better. Your doc should see them. That should just be a, a, a rule. That should be the least amount. It can be a whole lot more than that if you want, but this has got to be the least amount for me. Um, sometimes you got to walk in and you know you may have probably made a mistake, you misdiagnosed. You got to walk in there and take it. Because if you try to cover it up, if you try to make it better and it goes south, it just gets worse. Uh, and you're putting your patient at risk because of your pride. Sometimes you got to sit on the pride and go in the office and say, you know, I might not have done this. Or a lot of times it's just, you know, Miss Jones came in. She's not getting better. I'm, I'm not real sure this is what I did. And I've been practicing for a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in what I do. Um, but there is many times that Dr. Noel will say, well, did you try this? And I go, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Um, or maybe I should have done that in the first place. <clears throat> so be willing to, to walk in the door and talk to them. Do not keep it to yourself. It won't be for very long. Final thoughts, love your job. At least like it. If you hate your job, uh, you're sadistic. You need to either move on to a different job, location, or maybe a, a different specialty. Don't be poking knives in yourself. Have some fun. You may have to initiate it. My docs make a lot of money. I have two docs that have their very first dollar sticking in their pocket. I don't understand it. They will not do anything. I have a farm. We have a party in the summer. We have a party in the winter at Christmas. I put it on. I make pretty good money. I don't make as much as my docs, but I do make some money. And it doesn't have to be special, but everybody comes out, we exchange gifts, uh, you know, I supply the turkey and the tree. That's all I really do. It makes a huge difference. It can get your, your um, organization, your department together when it's kind of flailing. Sometimes you've got to do it. Otherwise, it never gets done. You can talk to your docs and say, hey, would you like to do this? Almost never they're not, but it's good to do it. Be healthy. Make sure that you get your exercise, you eat correctly. Follow your mother's directions. Uh, eat your fruits and vegetables. Uh, I start my morning with uh, yoga every morning. I do meditation. All these are things that I've learned through the years. It's taken me a long time to get where I'm at now. Um, but I'm pretty serene. Um, don't let your job define you. It certainly is part of you. Dermatology is a very big part of me. But it doesn't define who I am. Uh, don't let that happen. If it is, you need to take a look at it. Um, we're just going to talk here uh, a couple of cases real quick, and then we'll take some questions. This is Grace. Grace is a, just a wonderful 68-year-old female that came to me last year about this time. She had some itching that she couldn't control. It would come and go, uh, but it didn't seem to be anything that was of great concern. I thought it might be some irritant dermatitis. We had, or at this time of year in, in Wisconsin, the humidity in the rooms, even in my room, exam room, gets down to about 10%. If you're living in a farmhouse like I have, it's probably about zero. Uh, it gets pretty dry and crispy in there. 
So especially elderly patients, the, the moisture just seeps right out of them. They turn into little waves of paper sometimes. So a lot of times they'll get irritant dermatitis from soap, shampoo, whatever. Um, treated her, she got better. She came back in February, because it had resolved. She came back in February, it had blown up. It had done this the year before, but only for a short period of time. Both times when she went down to Texas. So she came in like this, excoriated, she's a big scratcher. She loves to scratch, so if you try to find a primary lesion, it's almost impossible. You have to look in places she can't reach, uh, and even knows, I don't know how she gets to them, but she gets to them and opens them up. Um, my initial biopsy came back as lichenification with excoriation. It's absolutely worthless. Yeah, it is that, but I'd like to have a diagnosis or at least a direction. Didn't really get it. Um, and this was with a direct immunofluorescence. Six months later, or six months later, six weeks later, she's still kind of struggling, um, and this is her then. Uh, so I did another biopsy and sent photos along with it to the derm path and it came back as bullous pemphigoid. She's a, she does everything as far as I know uh, the way she's supposed to. Uh, she follows directions pretty good. She tends to get a little bit confused occasionally, but between her and her husband, they do a pretty good job. Um, actually, I was able to find a vesicle. It's up here somewhere, right up here, uh, where I did a, the biopsy, and that's how I got the diagnosis. I was able to control her with, uh, I did a long course of prednisone, I was able to get her on top of it and then put her on tetracycline. I've been very, very, very successful with tetracycline. Unfortunately, so she was maintained on tetracycline. I put her on dapsone for a little bit to get her off the prednisone, put her on tetracycline for maintenance. She was doing good. All of a sudden, there's this tetracycline shortage. Is anybody else seeing this tetracycline shortage? It's not regional. I, it's like 0.004 cents a piece. I'm not sure why they can't find it. Well, probably because it, they didn't make any money on it. Anyway, so she came off the tetracycline, um, and we'll get to that. So uh, bullous pemphigoid, um, ideology unknown, and God, I hate that. And uh, if you go through Habif or Andrews or any of that, about half the diseases of the skin, are, they don't know what causes it. Um, I see it a lot of times when the immune system's in the tank. So after like knee surgery or hip surgery, or if they've had some chemo, I see it just regularly too. But it tends to be elderly females as almost all my patients. I have maybe a couple that are not uh, ladies. They may start as urticarial plaques, and we're going to see that in a second. Um, and sometimes it's misdiagnosed as urticaria. And this did go through somewhat of a urticarial phase. There's oral involvement, but not as much as some of the other pemphigoid diseases. However, if they do have oral involvement, it's miserable. All the uh, blistering diseases, if you have uh, oral involvement, uh, it doesn't matter what they're doing for their skin. It, they can't eat. Uh, they are absolutely miserable. Uh, itching is pretty variable. It tends to be kind of early on, however. Um, tends to be chronic with flares. So I have probably 12 patients with it. All except one are elderly females. Um, all in various phases. They're all unstable except for Grace. And all of them are on tetracycline. Uh, we use prednisone about once or twice a year when they flare for just a very short period. About 50% of them actually have some eosinophilia. Um, nine weeks to 17 years, I've yet to see one to, that actually went away. Um, if it's generalized, it, there's actually a poor prognosis. But again, these are elderly females, and usually they've got other comorbidities. And 
sometimes we treat them so aggressively that there's a large percentage of that the mortality is from the treatment. Um, so it's something to think about. There is a remission rate. Again, I, I haven't seen a remission. Ton of differential diagnosis. The two top ones, though, I've actually seen fairly frequently is bullish drug eruptions and uh, bullish impetigo. Seen bullish impetigo quite frequently in the last year. So make sure that you do the biopsy. I do a light. I do one bio, I do two biopsies. One for light microscopy and the other one for um, direct immunofluorescence. If you can do the light microscopy biopsy, and I almost always use a four, I like it to be bigger, do it at the edge of a blister. There's nothing that makes the pathologist more excited than when they can cut those sections and they actually see the blister come up. Uh, if you do it on something that's excoriated, that's pretty worthless. The um, DIF needs to be inflamed material. You want to stay away from the blister uh, or just outside the inflammatory. Uh, lesion. Direct immunofluorescence uh, is kind of expensive. Um, that's with serum, uh, but it can be very specific if you're kind of running on, <clears throat> don't know what it is. Uh, treatments, and I've done all these. Uh, oral steroids, I usually hit them pretty hard at first. Um, so it's almost always a milligram per kilogram per day. I do that for about seven to 10 days, and then I start to titer them down until they flare, and then I hold it. Um, topical agents, I have a few patients that I've been able to completely control them with clobetasol or ultravate with occlusion for about three to four days. Works really good. You don't have the complications. Complications with oral steroids, you're about 54%. With topical steroids, about 24%. Tetracycline, love tetracycline. Use tons of it, especially in my blistering diseases, and it works great. Twice I've had patients go into the hospital, they took their medications away, they took the tetracycline away because that was not important, um, and they flared terribly. Um, now I'm down to, I tend to use more minocycline now because I can't find tetracycline, unfortunately. Uh, itching cascade, uh, Dr. Zerwas is going to be here later this week, and I know he'll be going over a lot of that and most of those things I got from him. This is her about six weeks ago, four weeks ago, actually. She returned after being off tetracycline for six to eight weeks. You can see the urticarial plaques that she has. And this happened fairly quickly, um, just in terrible. And I, I could not control it with uh, prednisone. So I put her on Dapzone. Um, still couldn't control her. So I actually put her on Celsep. So now she's on prednisone, Dapzone, Celsep. Remember what I told about the supervising doc? Uh, this supervising doc needs to know about this one. Um, and I've taken her to the DermPath conference and gotten all kinds of information from DermPath. Pretty much, you know, I keep doing what you're doing. And uh, my doc, she was actually, I saw her just before I left on Monday, and she was doing pretty good. Um, on those two, she was on uh, Dapsone 50 milligrams twice daily, and I just increased her up from 500 twice a day to 1,000 twice a day. And she is doing pretty good. Um, when I get back, I'll start taking her off the prednisone, and I'll kind of take her off the Dapsone, and then probably leave her on Celsep because um, their insurance decided they would cover it, so that's good. Um, Make sure you watch your guidelines for, um, I don't use much Imuran, because um, my doc doesn't. I used to use it a lot when I was in the Navy, because we would have a lot of difficult cases, but I haven't used it for some time. I do use a lot of Celsep, though, and it works pretty good. This is just bullus pemphigo, or uh, bullus impetigo, just as a quickie. Uh, this girl has chronic staph infection. She's a carrier. She refuses not to shave. 
every time she shaves, she blisters. I cannot get her to stop shaving, even her, just her legs, or, you know, if she would just stop shaving her legs. But every time she shaves, she blisters. Uh, and I got to put her on antibiotics and get her under control. Um, so, kind of a lot of things. I hope that you were able to take some of that away. I'll take uh, just a couple questions if you, anybody has anything. If you'd use the mic, that would be right there. Yeah. <clears throat> Was just a quick question. Um, the minocycline dose to replace the tetracycline dose was the same milligram. I use 100 milligrams twice a day. Oh, for just minocycline. That. Okay, sorry, just went so through. So 200 grams milligrams a day, a day. Okay, yeah, we're finding the same tetracycline uh, absence up in New York. Yeah, State. it just kind of disappeared. Like, you know, some gremlin went into all pharmacies and took it away. Okay, I'll be around if anybody has questions. Uh, have a great conference.